Katina season tends to be a time when we are reminded of the continued support we receive from the lay community, both the material support, the food and the other requisites that are provided for us on a daily basis, and also the spiritual support, the goodwill, the kindness shown by lay people who are often appreciative of the sacrifices we make as bhikkhus in training. They're aware that it's not an easy life that everyone can do or can do for a long time. So we get a lot of warmth and support from the laity. And it's at this time that we might remember that when you see them coming together in this or in other monasteries. So whether you're an individual bhikkhu <coughs> on Tudong or traveling out in the forest, or if you're living in a larger community, in a fundamental basis for our life as monks is that we are dependent on arms, dependent on others. And the word bhikkhu is sometimes translate as one who seeks arms, not by bothering people, we seek in a very passive way simply by having a bowl and walking out, even if it's walking only to the kitchen on Bindabhata or out to the monastery or traveling, we can receive invitations. People are willing to provide us with food or other requisites. We depend on arms, and that comes out of kindness. People share what they have with us. Gratitude, they have gratitude for our willingness to practice. And the Sangha provides some leadership in the practice of the Buddhist teachings. We practice meditation and <coughs> teach others how to do it. We teach them about the practice of morality and the Brahma Viharas. We help to explain to others about different aspects of the Buddhist teachings and we can use some of our own experience as bhikkhus to do that so that we're not only speaking from the texts, but we're also speaking from the heart and from what we've learned, however much or little, doesn't matter.
I even know the Katina season can be a time of travel, coming and going. There's also some important reflections that we shouldn't overlook. And we probably also, when we reflect on the support we get from the laity, in my mind it tends to bring up gratitude, appreciation, because of the sacrifice they make. We make one kind of sacrifice as bhikkhus, the laity also make sacrifice, giving up their time, money, energy and skills to support the monastery, to support bhikkhus like ourselves here and elsewhere. And the religion and the practice of Buddhism depends on both Sangha and laity supporting each other. There's a natural check and balance in place as if bhikkhus are not keeping the Vinaya, not practicing according to what the Buddha taught, then lay people will tend to move away, not want to be close to them. And similarly, lay people, if they're going astray, well, bhikkhus can remind them of the correct path of practice. They're there for them as an example and to provide teachings and guidance. So we support each other, the two groups, the two parts of the Buddhist community, Sangha and laity. But as you practice more, you also realize the practice is constantly going inwards and the qualities of the samana, or the peaceful one, or the enlightened one, are developing in anyone's heart who practices these teachings, whether they are sangha or laity. So there are those laity who, the teachers, like Lumpur Cha, and others talk about the, the laity who are as if bhikkhus in their heart, even though on the outside they're still laity. The qualities that we're developing are not exclusive to just ordained sangha. You know, lay people can have hiriyotapa, they can have wisdom and right view gained from many years of practice. They can attain states of samadhi and they can attain insight into the three characteristics which help to liberate their minds from attachment. It's not only bhikkhus who attain the Dhamma. Now the more you practice, the more you appreciate that and recognize skillful qualities in others around you, whether they're bhikkhus or laity. There are some, maybe some issues or parts of our life that lay people might find harder to understand because 
of the refinement of the Vinaya, the celibacy, the renunciation. But in terms of training the mind, yeah. everybody has a mind, monks, lay people, everybody can fall under the influence of greed, anger and delusion. Everyone can practice to free themselves from greed, anger and delusion. So anybody is free to practice these teachings and understand the path better. And you'll notice there's certain qualities in practitioners, whether sangha or laity, that arise from the practice. One that's very uh, obvious is, you might say, strength of mind. <coughs> and the Buddhist path is all about strengthening skillful qualities through the practice, through repetition and through consciously cultivating skillful qualities, bringing them up over and over again, training the mind. In uh, the Brahmaviharas, in the Sila, in mindfulness, in wisdom, and all the other skillful qualities. In the presence of wholesome Dhammas in a human mind, as one result is that it strengthens the mind, brightens the mind. One obvious expression of that strength of mind is the arising of states of peace. As we practice this path, we keep the precepts, we develop mindfulness, cultivate the Brahmaviharas and so on, then the mind becomes more content and more peaceful within itself. And this ultimately leads to the arising of states of samadhi. However deep or profound those states of samadhi will arise and they are an expression of the energy of the mind, the strength of mind, as mindfulness becomes more continuous when we practice meditation. As our precepts, we keep them more skillfully and the mind is energized, becomes brighter, stronger. That in itself, even though samadhi is not the same as panya or insight, but in itself it already gives us a certain resilience to the arising of dukkha or experiences of dukkha that we come across in the course of our life. If you've learnt to practice some meditation and keep the precepts, when you fall ill, it doesn't necessarily mean your mind becomes depressed or angry or upset. It allows you maybe to cope with illness better, take it in your stride. When you meet with the suffering of dealing with just sort of daily obstacles and living with other people, the differences of opinion or small conflicts that can arise with other people around us, 
if you have this strength of mind that comes through the practice, then it helps you to cope and <coughs> not get caught up in the dukkha, but just to move on, let go, forgive if necessary, let go. The experiences of disappointment or not getting one's expectations met, whether we're talking about our own practice or things we're planning in our life. If you develop the strength of mind that comes through this practice, then it helps you to get through that kind of dukkha better without dwelling with negativity on failures or things that go wrong, or things we didn't get, the ordinary kind of dukkha of human experience. And this is the kind of very quick, immediate benefits and results that come from the practice. <coughs> you can't necessarily quantify it in terms of levels of samadhi or insight, but just a basic ability to deal with dukkha skillfully. Uh, ability to be patient with dukkha to be with that which is unpleasant or not what we want, difficult to bear with, improves through the practice. Again, this is a reflection of this strength of mind that comes through the wholesome qualities, the skillful qualities we're developing. We can put up with things better than we used to be able to. In particular, we can put up with our own mind. There's the famous saying that Jen Cha used to bring up. If you're still following all your moods and desires, kind of automatically, easily, just following along whatever mood you have, you follow it, believe it, whatever desire comes up, you have to indulge it, then you haven't begun practicing yet. Obviously, he's referring to moods and desires conditioned by greed, anger and delusion, the cause of our suffering. And every aspect of our practice is bringing up skills and the strength of mind to counter that conditioning process. So to go against our more negative moods, desires to see them, go against them, not indulge them, not follow them. As we practice and gain this strength of mind, well then we get better at doing that. We can shrug off different moods and desires just like a duck shrugs off water from its bank. Without a lot of fuss, without a lot of effort, the more you practice this strength of mind and brightness of mind, can do that. You can let go of different thought processes that may be stimulated by an experience of dukkha, some physical pain or some mental disappointment or anguish comes up. You just shrug it off and don't get caught into all the thought proliferation that you may used to have got caught into and so on. And we get used to just shrugging off dukkha 
not indulging every mood, not always seeking distraction in pleasure and different sense stimulation when we do experience dukkha, but being able to reflect on it better, establish mindfulness and just notice how oh, dukkha is like this. Deal with failures, disappointments, the ups and downs of daily life. And the strength of mind that comes from the practice allows you to contemplate in that way, seeing the, these experiences more as four noble truths, dukkha arising and passing away, known and observed with mindfulness, rather than always reacted to and getting caught up in it. You notice over time, practicing like this, it gives you, it gives the practice a certain beauty, certain qualities of calm, contentment, whatever your particular personal character is, this is independent of that. These are the skillful, wholesome qualities that arise from the practice. One learns not to indulge every unwholesome mental state that arises. One is learning to just see them as that and let them go, abandon them rather than indulge them. And naturally the opposite arises. If you're not indulging every desire that comes with greed, then naturally contentment arises in its place. Contentment, generosity, Compassion arises if you're not following your greed. If you're not following aversion, well, naturally, anger, uh, non-ill will, kindness, compassion arises if you're not following aversion. You have more empathy for others, more time for others. As the mind becomes strength, stronger and more energized through the practice, then we have a more noticeable sense of inner contentment, inner happiness. And it expresses itself with the, the contentment, being content with whatever requisites we have, the place we have, the people we're with. And more compassion and more empathy we show in daily life. It just naturally comes out when the mind is more peaceful. We have an inner happiness, the niramisa sukha, the kind of happiness that's not dependent on getting what you want in terms of sense stimulation, people you want around you, the things you want, the conditions you want is more internally generated through removing the unwholesome dhammas, the unwholesome mental states, when naturally you have a wholesome mental state arise. You have more peace, more contentment, more happiness inside. Totally independent of external things. This is another of the nourishing qualities that arise as we practice. You have the strength of mind and then the internal happiness. These are the kind of qualities that keep us going as bhikkhus, wherever we are, whether we're on our own or with others, 
in a forest, traveling, or in a busy town, doesn't matter. These kind of qualities are being generated internally, so they're with us and coming up all the time. And this sense of strength and inner contentment is what allows the mind to contemplate the Dhamma, the Dhamma that we've heard and read. You can actually contemplate and see it because the mind is calm enough, clear enough. As they say, you can only see the reflection of the moon on water when the water is still. <coughs> you look when we have the moon out at night on the ponds, if there's some wind rippling up, well, you don't see a very good reflection. But when the wind stops, the pond goes still, then you can see a perfect reflection of the moon. And the stillness of the mind comes from this the strength of wholesome dhammas and then the inner happiness. The mind isn't seeking anything else outside of itself. So it's quiet, it's still. Then you get a reflection of it of the mind itself. The reflection is the the bright mind. First of all the mind of samadhi the brightness of samadhi, but then as the mind, as we use the mind, the, the peace of mind to contemplate, it's the brightness of insight, not merely temporary suppression of defilements and temporary experience of peace, but we start to unpick and uproot those unwholesome, unwholesome states by seeing through them as seeing them as deluding, seeing them as not-self, seeing as the root causes as really not being very much at all. You know, when you see more the Anicca Dukkha Anatta of formations, this body, this mind, the world around us, then greed doesn't form so easily if you can see the impermanence or the lack of self in things. You don't get so angry angry with people or situations if you can see them as a Nietzsche Dukkha Anatta. So the stillness, the quietness of mind we're developing, we have to turn that to contemplate in order to finish the job or to complete the Buddhist path, as it were. We have to also keep contemplating, but using the quietness, the contentment, the happiness of the mind as a foundation. We certainly have time and we have a quiet place to live. So then we use that sitting meditation, walking meditation, we use that to reflect. What is, if you have mental suffering, what is the cause of that suffering? Your mind is clinging to something, wanting something it hasn't got, wanting to get rid of something that it feels it has. But now we're looking at these experiences as they are, from a more neutral, peaceful place in the mind, and just seeing them as impermanent, 
you know, the wanting itself is impermanent. The thing we want is impermanent. It's not self. Sometimes we have to contemplate very thoroughly. So like when you're looking at a human body, great source of our desire, we contemplate it back and forth. They say anulom patilom, it means forward and backwards going through the parts of the body and what happens to them and the nature of them, the unattractiveness of them and the dukkha of the body, the inability of it to sustain itself, to look good, feel good. You contemplate back and forth and this generates insight. So then naturally there's a sense of dispassion, letting go of the desire for our body or desire for others. And all the sort of images and pictures we can have of what the world can give us, the different forms of happiness, the pictures we can paint in our mind, well we can do the same, contemplate. Just the nature of karma sukha, worldly happiness, yeah, it's in its essence it's just temporary. It arises and ceases based on sense contact. And that sense contact is always going to be limited. The human body that can have that sense contact is limited. The experiences, the pleasures we can have, limited and so on. They don't last. This is where we contemplate over and over again, just contemplating bringing the mind to understand the true nature of things. But just using the very simple experiences we have in daily life, we don't have to do very much. We just contemplate. Yeah. You eat food, however nice it is, and it, you digest it and you pass it out as excrement, as urine afterwards. It's just that much. However nice, whatever the different tastes, colors, shapes, smells, arises and it ceases. The pleasures of life that we can have, the things we can get interested in looking at, reading, experiencing, just that much. The eyes we used to see don't last very long. As we get older they start to fade. The ears that we used to hear, interesting sounds, beautiful melodious sounds, they don't last, do they? This is something to contemplate with mindfulness, with the stillness and the peace of mind. Just contemplate the nature of this world that we live in. And the mind naturally is less fascinated, less caught up in it. So then it's less of a victim of its own greed and aversion. You know, we're either delighting in the world or averse to it. There's not a lot of variation that we have to get used to and contemplate. You know, we're going one way or the other. As you maintain more mindfulness and stillness where the mind is in the middle, we just see this, this delighting in the world, it just doesn't last. In its essence, the world can't bring you endless pleasure. You get little moments of high and then they pass. 
and the aversion, the unpleasant experiences also, they come and go. It's up to us to keep pulling the mind back to mindfulness in the middle so we can see the truth. You know, the truth is revealed, the more mindfulness and stability of mind we have and then the more we contemplate, it reveals, it shows us the truth and this is the way things are. The pleasures, the pains, they come and go. They're not sustained, they're nothing solid in themselves. So wherever we are, whatever the posture, the activity, the place we are, we always have the chance to keep developing this path in this way and to keep bringing up the wholesome qualities, the mindfulness, the reflections, keeping the precepts. It strengthens the mind, brings up this inner happiness and this allows us to contemplate and actually see the same Dhamma that the Buddha saw Lumpocha saw all the different enlightened masters have seen. We all have the same human mind and the same ability and potential just as they did. It's for us to keep practicing and bring up that potential. And when they talk about the uh, the four roads to success, the itipata, you need chanda, it means like the happiness to be practicing, the willingness to practice. It's something that's totally voluntary, can't be forced by anyone else. It arises when we hear the Dhamma, meet Kalyanamitta Dhamma practitioners, people who set a good example and maybe inspire us. Then we want to practice. When we recognize our own suffering, our own Suffering, we want to look for a way out of it, and we want to practice. That's chanda, you want to practice. You want to meditate, you want to keep precepts, want to practice the Brahmaviharas, want to do wholesome activities, because we know it's useful and it's leading to the, an improvement in our mind, more happiness, a better mind, better quality mind. That's chanda, you need to be successful in this practice, you need to maintain that and keep finding that. And it's what prompts the arising of wiriya, yeah? effort. Keep having to bring up effort to go against our negative moods, desires. It's prompted by the different kinds of dukkha we have as human beings. We have to keep putting effort into the practice, not to, again, fall prey or victim to our own states of suffering not to be a slave to them, but to actually rise above them. We need wiriya. Mm. And our wiriya leads on to the focus of the mind, jitta. You keep focusing them on the mind itself, bringing up mindfulness, bringing up this one-pointed awareness where we're aware of what we're saying and doing on the outside and then internally what's arising mentally. And we keep focusing through the practice of mindfulness. And then we monk size. Yeah. We reflect on this practice. 
what are we doing right, what are we doing wrong, where do we need to improve, what more can we do, and then the nature of the things we're involved with, contemplate anicca, dukkha, anatta in our experience. And the Buddha said these four qualities will lead to success. And we all want to be successful in our practice, well, keep coming back to chanda, viriya, jitta, vimangsa over and over again. Maybe you can learn just from one sim single practice of meditation, sitting or walking meditation. When you experience some peace, you seem to be more content, things seem to go well. Well, look at these qualities, you'll probably find all four qualities are there. When the mind is more haywire all over the place, one or more of those qualities will have disappeared. And we've lost our chanda and we we caught into some negativity so we don't want to practice. There's no motivation, no inspiration. Or we're not putting effort in the practice. Or we're not maintaining mindfulness consistently enough. We're not focusing on the mind enough. Or we're not contemplating. One or all of those qualities is missing or weak. One can take them, them as themes just to keep bringing up day after day, keep looking back. Mm. How well are we motivated and inspired to practice? How can we bring up more inspiration, more motivation? Are we putting effort, energy into the practice or are we just going through a kind of perfunctory, kind of putting the time in? As a long time how boy used to say, sometimes we just walk meditation, we're just walking up and down, but the mind is not there, it's all over the places. The body is just kind of filling in the the minutes or the hour, but the mind is not really there. How focused is the mind on the practice, on itself? Are we really seeing our own mind as we practice? Or we just caught up into all our thoughts about the mind and about the practice and about our life? Or actually we seeing with mindfulness? Are we aware, are we knowing our own mind as we practice? Are we contemplating? <coughs> so much of our practice tends to go towards dullness, either sleepiness or just dullness. We're not arousing wisdom, we're not training in the development and cultivation of wisdom. But we have to do that. We have to reflect back on what we're doing and what's the nature of the phenomena we're dealing with. And often a little bit of wisdom can go a long way. You have some something bothering you in your mind, a thought pattern, a mood, a feeling. We just contemplate the impermanence of it. And maybe you can drop away very quickly. Free your mind from some small attachment and the mind feels a lot better very quickly. They use these kind of reflections, you know, like the four roads to success. Very good way just to guide your meditation before you meditate and contemplate them as you're practicing, contemplate them.
So I'll leave you with these reflections tonight.